talking today on FoxCast with Bill Maruka in Pittsburgh about private equity transactions with physician practices. Bill has been named as one of the leading healthcare attorneys in Pennsylvania by Chambers USA. He has extensive healthcare law experience, mainly representing health-related ventures. Bill also is a prolific speaker and teacher and writer on healthcare topics and is widely published. Bill, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Bill, you recently published about the 1990s trend of publicly traded physician practice management companies, or PPMs for short, where uh, investor capital was infused into medical practices, and this concept has returned from oblivion uh, in the form of private equity transactions. Well, these deals make me think of the old saying, history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes, <laughs> which, was, <laughs> which was misattributed to Mark Twain. Hmm. Because, like the ill-fated uh, PPM company deals, uh, these private equity deals have a lot in common. They offer physicians cash up front and ownership in a management company, and then they're designed to be sold in the future at a profit. And like the PPM uh, deals, PE deals claim to be in a position to consolidate physician groups to achieve greater profitability. Bill, could you tell our listeners more about the, the concept of private equity? Sure. The term private equity refers to the fact that these companies are non-publicly traded, and they are funds that directly invest in private companies or engage in buyouts of private companies. Hmm. Uh, the old 1990s deals were typically done by publicly traded companies. PE firms are typically organized as limited partnerships, and the investors contribute capital as limited partners. The fund organizers manage the company as general partners. The investors include pension funds and other large institutional players. The manager or the general partner charges a management fee based on the percentage of the investments under management, and then the acquired companies become part of the fund's portfolio. Those companies are then positioned for subsequent resale at a profit to larger purchasers. Mm. Bill, then what are the obstacles that might get in the way of a successful deal? Well, there are quite a number of regulatory barriers, and in Pennsylvania, like many states, uh, generally only licensed physicians can own a medical practice itself. Hmm. And that restriction is known as the Corporate Practice of Medicine Doctrine. It prevents the PE companies from acquiring direct ownership. One option that's often used is for the PE company to acquire the practice through a friendly or a captive physician-owned entity. And that might take the form of a professional corporation or an LLC whose physician owner is part of the acquiring company's executive team. But a more common workaround that doesn't require having a physician as part of your executive team is for the acquiring company to form a management company, sometimes called a management service organization or an MSO, uh, that provides space, equipment, staffing, recruiting, billing, collection, day-to-day -day management, and third-party payer contracts. Hmm. In return, the MSO receives a management fee paid out of the practice's collections. The physician may be offered an equity stake in the MSO company to share in revenues and ideally to cash in for a sizable return when the MSO is sold. Hmm, sure. So far, those, those attributes sound a whole lot like the 1990s PPMs, but there are a number of differences because today's buyers have learned some of the lessons from the failures of their predecessors. So, Bill, why did the PPMs of old fail? Well, one reason is they purchased practices at premium prices because of bidding wars, and then they continue to pay the selling physicians compensation packages comparable to what they earned as private owners. And the, the math just didn't work out. Mm. The presumption was, was that with infusion of professional management and, and technology, the elusive economies of scale would appear and costs would be brought down. Uh, when you hear economies of scale in, in these physician deals, 
a lot of people roll their eyes because they typically didn't happen. Uh, but they believed that additional profits could be generated to satisfy the MSOs, the physicians, and the investors alike. But what they learned was that physician-owned practices were managed pretty well by the physicians who owned them. And the reason was because every dollar that was not spent went straight to the owner's pocket. So there was little or any additional profit to be squeezed out. Hmm. These companies would then add these layers of middle management, which would add costs, but didn't produce much in the way of anticipated returns. And it turns out that management functions were not real, readily scaled up and centralized. Now, the hospitals and health systems that bought practices could rationalize losses on acquired practices because they could make up the difference on admissions and facility fees that they would capture because the practices they owned would then refer patients back to the hospitals. PPMs couldn't participate in that revenue stream. So ultimately, many of them went bankrupt. Bill, how do today's buyers hope to avoid a similar fate, uh, especially or particularly considering that their investors often expect large annual returns? Well, first, I think purchasers have become a lot more realistic about the purchase prices and their relationship to the compensation of the selling physician. Prices for practice assets are frequently determined by multiples of the term earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which the accountants will call EBITDA, mm -hmm. instead of market-driven valuations of the past that frequently assumed unrealistic growth. In fact, we often saw assumptions in the old 1990s deals that presumed practices would grow by 20% of patient volume. If you added all those up uh, from all the deals from the 1990s, I think the population of Pittsburgh would have had to double to make mm. all those, those mm -hmm. predictions come true. Uh, now, the multiples of, of EBITDA have been increasing in recent years, so one element of PPM uh, history might, in fact, be repeating if the buyers aren't a little more careful. Now, the higher the EBITDA multiple, the less money will be left over for physician compensation after the transaction. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that may present internal conflicts among the older and younger members of a group. Importantly, the first seller in the market can often command a better price than others in the same specialty because the PE, PE firm can then use that practice as a platform from which it will attract more physicians. Those later acquired practices are sometimes referred to as bolt-ons. Hmm. Uh, Bill, then won't selling physicians see their salaries initially reduced? Many times they will, but then they hope to be rewarded instead with actual ownership, stock options, profit sharing, or phantom equity that reflects the buyer's financial performance. The goal is to more clearly align the incentives of the physicians with those of the management team. That was a feature that was often missing from the previous PPM arrangements. Many PE firms claim that they'll maintain a hands-off approach to clinical decision-making so the physicians remain in control of medical matters. And in fact, state regulators may intervene if they don't honor those promises. Hmm. Uh, Bill, what happens if and when that MSO entity is eventually sold uh, to, uh, uh, by the PE fund to a new, to a new owner? Well, the doctors uh, typically will become owners in the PE fund or the management company, and as a result, they can participate in a second bite of the apple. From the PE investor perspective, the goal is to grow and consolidate practices so they're more attractive to a larger PE pur purchaser than flip them for a profit, generally within three to seven years. Hmm. Now, physicians are understandably wary that new owners might not be as responsible to their goals or that they might potentially bring a more top-down management style that limits their autonomy. Because of that, physicians need to uh, use experienced counsel to guide them through the negotiating of the initial sale and the management documents to protect them from overreaching by next owners. Bill, what kind of practices are being targeted by PE companies? 
Well, they started out looking at subspecialty practices, particularly ophthalmology, uh, hospital-based practices, radiology, anesthesia, and pathology, and emergency medicine. Mm -hmm. And then the next wave involved gastroenterology, otolaryngology, orthopedics. The one common factor of those is they have uh, potential for ancillary income, such as lab services, diagnostic testing, therapy, ambulatory surgery centers. Hmm. Now, purchasers are also finding uh, practices which focus on elective procedures or self-pay patients, such as infertility, dermatology, and dentistry to be attractive. And they're beginning to acquire primary care practices with an eye towards capturing some new sources of revenue from some of the new reimbursement methodologies that involve population management and accountable care uh, organizations. Now, what are some of the factors to consider before entertaining a PE deal? Well, the physicians in the group need to sit down with each other and think about what their goals are mm -hmm. and whether all the goals of the physician uh, in the group are aligned. For instance, if there are age disparities among the physicians, they may pit the older ones who are looking for a favorable cash out terms against younger doctors with more years ahead to practice. Sure. You have to also take into account the non-owner physicians of the group, make sure they'll be fairly compensated going forward, or if they leave, how easily can you recruit replacements? So, Bill, economic forecasting and judgment are really critical. Certainly. Physicians need to know if the economics are going to work. Mm -hmm. And you should ask yourself how confident you are in the financial projections that are presented to show your compensation and your anticipated returns. Are they really based on realistic assumptions? Mm -hmm. Remember, you may know your market much better than a national company thinks they do. Ask yourself what your personal horizon is and if there's an acceptable exit strategy. How much are you depending on future distributions or sales for prop from profits that might never materialize? Bill, what other questions should physicians be asking? This is a lot to digest. Well, there are quite a number of questions. Who's going to control key decisions after closing? Mm -hmm. What role will the selling physicians retain? Can your group be combined with another group that's later acquired by the same PE firm? And if so, how, that, how is that going to impact the dynamics of the practice? Will you have any say in the selection of newly recruited physicians? Is there more? Well, how much will you still control your medical decisions? Will your new capital partner force you to change your use of mid-levels and physician extenders? Will they pressure you to see more patients in less time? Or will they pressure you to order services you don't feel are necessary? Who will ultimately control coding? And if a payer demands a large refund, will they back you up? Well, Bill, uh, thank you for your time uh, today and for sharing your knowledge. Uh, we are out, uh, about out of time. Uh, and so, listeners, uh, thank you for being with us uh, to confidentially discuss how private equity transactions may benefit your medical practice. Please contact Bill Maruka at 412-394-5575 or at WMaruka, that's W-M-A-R-U-C-A, at FoxRothschild.com. Fox Rothschild LLP is a national law firm with 950 attorneys in 27 offices coast to coast. Visit us on the web at www.foxrothschild.com.